Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly. And voila, you get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. Like always, we try and find the most fascinating people to talk to about the world of HR data, technology, and analytics. Like always, we have with us today our guest and co-host, Dwight Brown. Hey, Dwight. Hey, David. Good to be here with you in this different venue than what we're used to working in. Why don't you tell the audience where we are? We are at the ADP Pro Conference in the Gaylord Resort, I believe, down in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, and it is a wonderful place. If you haven't been here, it's like a biodome. Oh, The entire hotel and all the facilities in the hotel are actually in one place. It is crazy, and it's crazy huge. Yes. I've gotten lost like four times just on the way over to the conference here. I think that's the reason why they designed it this way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, to, to make so. people walk and walk and walk. It's it's the size of Texas. The only thing worse was Vegas. Vegas is like yeah. you're walking miles and miles and miles exactly. anywhere you go. Exactly. Well, you know, everything in Texas is big. So right. this, that's why this hotel is wonderful. So today we're going to do something special. First of all, we're not going to do a fun thing because all of our fun things are <laughs> kind of out there. We just did our fun thing yeah, the we, other day. Yeah, exactly. And then we're going to do a we're going to have a conversation around compensation benchmarking. And we want to talk about compensation benchmarking, the good and the opportunities. Not good and bad, but we like to call bad things opportunities, opportunities for improvement. And so when Dwight and I were talking, we were, we were kind of going back and forth on, there's a lot of things around compensation benchmarking that I think can be demystified, mm-hmm. especially for people who want to learn more about how compensation benchmarking works. If you kind of think about it, Dwight, Compensation benchmarking is like one of the original HR analytics because you're taking lots of forms of data, you're summarizing it, you're looking at the statistics, and you're trying to measure the population by taking a sample. Right. Yeah. And we do that by utilizing salary surveys. Right. Published by major vendors like Mercer, Willis Towers Watson, Aon Hewitt, and companies like salary.com that actually aggregate a lot of that data and create really good data out of it. Yep. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about things that are good, and then we'll talk about opportunities. That's perfect. So let's get started. Let's get into it. So Dwight, from your perspective, let's talk about the good of compensation benchmarking and how companies can utilize that to understand more about their workforce and more about the market in which they compete for for scarce talent. Yeah, so you know, from my perspective, the one of the good things that we have is that we have all kinds of data that we can tap into. You know, like you just talked about, there are several large companies that do this. There are a number of smaller companies that do this. And the spaces that they work in, oftentimes they're specialized or 
Or they may be a large company and they have a specialized survey. So right. if you want a healthcare survey or a manufacturing survey or whatever that might be, you have better data to, to be able to match to. And the other, the other piece that's an advantage is just where we are technologically these days. You know, if we were doing this 10 years ago, we probably would have been working off of PDFs and paper the entire time, trying to benchmark things where we have ready access to huge data sets and we have enough interoperability among all the tools out there that it's easy to ingest, analyze, and output the the data. So those are those are a couple of the the big positives that I that I see with things right now. Yeah, and, and let's let's dive into a little more because if you're in an industry that has specialized talent, you definitely want to find either a survey that you feel comfortable with that has competitors of yours so that you know that you're actually benchmarking to what the market is for those people. And you want to make sure that the descriptions of the jobs are accurate for what your people are doing. So if you're in, like, for example, biomedical engineering, you're not going to use the same survey necessarily for your engineers Mm-hmm. that somebody like in the automobile industry is going to be utilizing. Right, Because exactly. even if the job is engineer, it's to- two totally different skill sets right. with vast educational differences, scarcity issues. And so what you're going to do is you're going to look for those surveys that align to your industry, that align to your competitive team, your competitive market, as well as the locations mm-hmm. that you need to hire. Right, and let me, let me touch on the, the technology thing that you were talking about, Dwight. When I was doing compensation 30 years ago at an investment bank, the concepts of spreadsheets were brand new, right? Mm-hmm. We had just been using, I think it was one, two, three. Oh, yeah. if, if those of you who don't remember, there was a spreadsheet called one, two, three by memories. a company called Lotus. Lotus, one, which, two, three, yeah. Yes, which I don't think people remember. Right. But now I think Lotus was... It was acquired by IBM. I think so, yeah. But that was a long time ago. You're dating yourself, man. Yeah, well, you know, you know, I'm safe. But you're dating me too because I remember it very well and remember working with it. So, And, and for those of you who don't remember 123, you're definitely not going to remember VisiCalc, <laughs> which was one of the original Apple spreadsheet programs that accountants went, oh my goodness, I don't have to do it on paper anymore. But 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 that's a different story. But... To the point of the evolution of tools, right? It is 2022 and the evolution of HR technology and technology in, 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 in and of itself has gotten to a place where not only do we have computers and everybody's computer on their desk, we have computers on our arms, mm-hmm. our, our wrists and our, in our pockets. One other thing about that to, to go back and make everybody cringe. I interviewed for a place for a car manufacturer where I was going to work in compensation. And this was in the early 90s. And I was going to have to share a computer with the entire department. Share a computer? Share a computer. With the entire Not like department. sharing a laptop. Sharing Not sharing a, a cubicle. No, no. Sharing, the department had one computer. And I said, but how am I going to do all of my analytics and my analyses on the market right. with everybody sharing a computer? They said, oh, well, you don't really need it that much. You'll take, you'll take turns. And I said, I would have loved to have worked for you, but no, thank you. <laughs> but but that's but the evolution oh, there oh. of technology 
has now gotten to a place where as we're doing compensation analytics and we're doing and we're using surveys that are very advanced and doing a lot of QA activities actually inside of surveys, inside of survey technologies mm -hmm. and not having to do back and forth using paper, to your point before, right. to participate or spreadsheets to participate and getting feedback through through lots of red marks on spreadsheets. Now it all happens within technology. So a lot of those either QA or data quality issues can be dealt with quickly, easily. I think one of the other benefits of, of that technology is now we can involve managers much more easily in the matching process. Mm -hmm. And therefore the data gets better. So there's a lot of really cool things about compensation benchmarking in the modern era that enable us to have more confidence in the data as well as have more confidence in our analyses. Mm -hmm. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking subscribe. This podcast is made possible by salary.com. Now, back to the show. So let's now talk about the bad and the things we see that we like to call opportunities. So what's your opinion on, from what you've seen on the, the kind of the, the where, where things can improve in the world of benchmarking? You know, of course, it's all these things all fall on a continuum. I think one of the one of the challenges that's out there, and I don't see this as a bad or, or anything like that, but people's knowledge of the process itself, of what goes into benchmarking, what the output is, and how they're able to use that. You know, oftentimes we'll get people in from HR that have dabbled a little bit in compensation, but beyond that. They haven't really gotten into the process itself. And so there's there's a good amount of teaching that has to go around that. There's also a lot of back and forth throughout the process helping to educate people. And so this is actually something that I love is being able to work with clients who they know some, but they need they need that coaching along the way. And and the more people that we can get educated on the process, the the better. Another Another component that I see with things is the the challenge of of the surveys and what their strengths and weaknesses are, um, and kind of what the trends are. Because I can take two different surveys looking at the same industry, and I can get vastly different sort of results when you look at that median, the composite median or composite fiftieth with them where one's going to be high, one's going to be low. And oftentimes what I'm doing in there, when I'm doing the job matching with those, I'm matching to both so that we get sort of this hybrid thing. But I think it, I think it speaks to the fact that, you know, I see people come in using one survey and I, I think they don't necessarily know what the positives and pitfalls of that particular survey are. If that particular survey happens to happens to aim high, then they're paying more than what the market right, is. If it right. aims low, then they can't get the people they right. need, you know. So I think that's the thing that sticks out the most for me in terms of the opportunities out there is is just understanding the surveys that you're using, understanding the data that you're using, and understanding what the outcome is going to be. But but I think it goes that. back to your point, which I really love, which is education. Yeah, whether you're a company that's been doing surveys for a really long time, or whether it's so an industry vet, or whether it's a person who's doing market pricing for the first time, to me, 
there's always more education. Yeah. There's always something new that they can be taught and that I can learn, actually. Right, even, exactly. Uh, I've been doing it for over 30 years, and still, I learn something new every day yeah. when I go do it. And that's because it evolves all the time. The, the, the point that you made around multiple sources, we do have to educate our clients to not rely on just one source. Right. Because the opportunity there is that, to your point, one source could skew a result because either they have a, a participant or they don't have a participant that is either high or low. Right. And the other survey doesn't and therefore is a little bit more moderated. Having both of them together enables you to have a more even sample. Right. And, and exactly. I, I like to use the word triangulation. It helps you triangulate what the market is. Because, you know, for, for, for those of you who've heard me speak, I love talking about this in the context of this is an art form. It is not a science. Yes. Anybody who tries to make matching and survey processes into science experiments, they fail because they're saying, oh, well, you know, I want to know who the participants are and I want to know this and I want to know that. You can know who the participants <laughs> are and the person could have done a really good job matching, yeah. but they could have excluded a bunch of people because. Exactly. Because inadvertently, inadvertently or on purpose, not trying to say they did anything nefarious, but it just happens. People make mistakes. We're all human. Right. And therefore, when we talk about surveys and we talk about benchmarking, remember, we're trying to measure a population mm -hmm. and there are statistical methods to do that. And they are methods and right. they are estimates. And when you're setting your compensation ranges and you're setting how you're paying your most precious resource, Make sure that you understand the assumptions that go into it. Right. And that you are careful about how you communicate it. Because if you communicate it as gospel, people are going to believe it as gospel. Right. Exactly. And if you communicate it as these are estimates, people are going to know, okay, well, these are good benchmarks, exactly yeah. what the word implies. We have to use a little bit of thought and affordability and a lot of other reasons why we may or may not. Right. You know, set our rates by that. Exactly. So to me, I, I love what you're talking about. They're all opportunities. Yeah. The other major opportunity that I see, and I see this over and over and over again, companies will come, they want a benchmarking project to take place. And when we ask them about job descriptions, they'll say, well, we really don't have job descriptions. Right. And that makes it a major challenge, and it, it, it impacts the downstream integrity of the Absolutely. data that you're using. Because if we're doing, if we are going out and finding benchmark jobs in the market based solely on a job title, we're probably not going to have the same integrity of our data. Now, the, granted, there's some, there's some, a handful of jobs out there that are fairly standard. An accountant is an accountant. A nurse is a nurse. But that can that can vary too by by company. It there can certainly be specialized can vary. duties. Yes, and yes. A derivative products accountant is not the same as a right. cost accountant. So yeah, yeah, you're right. And and I like to call that a good opportunity around data integrity. Right. Because it, it your point is that descriptions are part of the fundamental need while we're benchmarking. Yes. A lot of times though, and we've seen this many times with clients, is that whether or not they have descriptions is one thing, but the data that underlies a lot of the employee and jobs, oh yeah, they're, just, they're very ripe for for cleaning up. Yep, exactly. And the the thing that I would tell clients, and and I tell clients all the time, is let's spend some time fixing your data before we start doing analyses yeah. on it. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's you get you get some of the data that comes through to us and and you look and there are blanks in half the fields that they have and we we can't even get the underlying data that we need to to do the good analytics that goes with in it. In key demographic and job fields that we need for right. benchmarking, yeah. Yeah. I, it's amazing the number of clients that come in and only about half of them have any sort of gender identified or yeah. zip code, you know, those, yeah. some of those things that can really help us build more robust analytics around the data. Especially around pay equity and when you're trying to yeah. make sure that the the analyses we look at are as complete as possible and have all of the right, well, all the right things checked, all the boxes checked. And so I, I guess the... The, the other thing to say on this is you don't need to have every field perfect. It's never going to be. Mm-hmm. And trying to chase perfection is a fait accompli. Right. And a lot of times we see paralysis because, you know, companies worry that how am I going to get my data perfect? Right. You won't. You're not. <laughs> Good luck with yeah. that. Let us know if you figure out how to do it. Yeah, because <laughs> we, we certainly haven't. And, and the answer is don't chase perfection. Right. Uh, chase good enough. Good perfect. enough is great. Perfect is the enemy of good. It's... And we, we can help you do that. We can try and get you there. Yeah. But to be honest, it, it is not going to happen. Tomorrow, there's going to be a transaction you're not going to know about for a month. Right. And so the manager is not going to report it or the HR person got busy and kind of forgot about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's not going to change anything. One data point doth not a company kill. Right. So... To kind of summarize, the the benchmarking processes are evolving. We're in a very different place than we were 30 years ago, even though the survey processes are very much the same. And getting data from survey companies is still the standard in the market. Right. But that being said, it's evolving and it's changing. Yeah. And if you're going to embark on benchmarking and you're going to embark on these processes... The answer is, do it. And if you need help, experts are out there to help you do it. But if you need help, ask for it. Get it. Yeah. Because if you do it on your own, you could do it on your own. But there are people who've gone through it before, who have expertise in it, and who can help you do it faster, cheaper, better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're trying to learn it on your own as you're going through and doing it on your own, it... It is very difficult. Dwight, do you know anybody who does that work? Jeez, you know, I don't, I, I don't think I know anybody oh, who does okay. that work. Well, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll ask some we'll of our friends. We'll put it in the show notes for people. Yeah, we'll ask somebody at salary.com. Maybe they know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, yeah, we do do that. We do, we? Yeah, I think yeah. that's part of what we do. But this, know, that's the most salesy this podcast has ever become. So apologies, <laughs> everyone. But thank you very much for listening. And Dwight, thank you for being here. Thank you. And uh, there'll be more coming from the ADP Pro Summit in here in Dallas, Texas. That was the HR Data Labs podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe. And if you know anyone that might like to hear it, please send it their way. Thank you for joining us this week and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.